Welcome to the Not A Mommy Yet podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Fay. I started the Not A Mommy Yet blog and this podcast because I've always known I want to be a parent one day, and you might be listening because you feel the same. You may have also heard people with kids say things like, I wish I had known this before I had kids, or I wish I had done that. Hearing those comments made me think about the parts of my life I want to spend more time focusing on before I have kids in ways that will benefit me as a parent. So I started a list of people who can teach me about health, money, relationships, psychology, and more, and started interviewing them, and this podcast was born. Whether you plan to have kids or not, I think you'll find something interesting in this podcast for you. I hope you enjoy, subscribe, and maybe even share it with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. This week on the Not A Mommy Up podcast, I'm sharing one of my favorite episodes with one of my favorite people and my birthday twin, Talia Caldwell. Talia and I attended Mullen High School together and have been friends ever since. I have been lucky enough to see her grow into one of the most impressive, kind, open, intelligent, and loving people. I mean, she was always like that, but she still is and even better today. I cherish any time I get to spend with her when she isn't overseas playing professional basketball. And on this episode, we talk about community how it shapes us, how it impacts us, and how we develop long-lasting, meaningful relationships throughout the different seasons of our lives. Talia is endless wisdom, in my opinion. In 2020, she started the Echo Park Fund, supporting the unhoused in the Echo Park community with necessary resources. The continued success of the Echo Park Fund helping so many people is just a reflection on the impact she has made on her community in Los Angeles. In my opinion, we need about 6 billion more people like Talia, and this world would be a much better place. I hope you enjoy this week's episode with Talia. Thank you so much, Talia, for being here today. I'm super excited to talk to you about community and what it means to you. Yes, it's exciting. It's a great subject. It's a feel-good subject, too, so I'm, I'm happy. Yes, absolutely. It's something that every person that I speak to, I always want to inquire about that. It's something that I also look at like on the people that I follow and the people that I know in my life is just who they surround themselves with and how they build those meaningful relationships. You know, definitely ones that you just can be yourself around people completely. And I feel like you have done a really incredible job at building these different communities. I mean, you have not only lived in multiple places, but for work too, you've like been on different teams and that always requires meeting new people and building your relationships. So before we get started and into all of it, I just want everyone to know I've known Talia since 2002, I think. Um, is that when we started at Marlboro? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. And, um, yeah, we were great friends throughout our time at Marlboro and have been friends since. And, um, it's been so awesome to see her career kind of grow as a professional basketball player. And now she's doing so many other wonderful things. But Talia, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to the listeners so they can get to know you too. Yes. Thank you, my love. Yes. As <laughs> Natalie said, I've known you for so long and you genuinely have always been one of my favorite people. You know mm-hmm. this. Like, yes, we were privileged to actually be friends and share the same friend group and also have our individual connection, not to mention we are birthday twins. Yes, we are. Um, But I literally have always been such a fan of you. I'm just (laughs) like, I've always just, I don't know why, I've always just, you know, kicked the spirits. Um, I've always loved your dimples. I've loved your eyes. (laughs) You have family, you know, close to your family as well. So you have always been one of my favorite people. And 
yeah, about myself. So yeah, I'm born and raised in LA. You know, I'm a black female. I, you know, I've been playing basketball for most of my life. I've uh, been privileged, you know, with help of my mom and, you know, my father's support to, you know, attend some really um, awesome schools, you know, as we did go to Marlboro, which is a big privilege. So I've always been a learner. I've always been into, you know, just discovering new things and pushing myself, you know, both of those areas in basketball and then at Marlboro, were, you know, were, were rigorous and high intensity, you know? Yeah. So I've always been at a high level um, through expectations and the peers around me, you know, I really, uh, talk about community, um, I really appreciate that I've been around people who are phenomenal. So it makes me want to, you know, step my yeah. game up at all times or, you know, question and be inspired and, you know, just, just build each other up, you know, iron sharpened iron. So, yeah, I mean, I'm an only child, um, you know, I'm a Gemini, <laughs> all those things. Like, I've always just been a, an interesting, different kind of person. And thankfully, I've been around great communities that have um, allowed my uh, awkward uniqueness to flourish. And, you know, as you said, I'm doing new ventures now, which, you know, as I'm venturing into you know, screenplays and TV script writing, which I would have never thought I'd do. Um, I'm seeing all of my experiences come to fruition as I hit all my intersections of, like I said, a person of faith, a, 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 a black person in LA who grew up in white spaces, you know, but also playing basketball and probably black spaces and just, you know, all these intersections that I've crossed off and, um, you know, traveled the world twice over, you know, went to the Bay for college, all of these things, um, yeah. social justice work. So yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy how, you know, all the pieces start to fit. So yeah, that's about me. Absolutely. I love that. I love when you're doing something new and you have that moment of realization where you're just like, oh my God, all these other things that I did before led me to this moment and prepared me for this moment. So well. absolutely, it's great. Um, yeah. So, you know, to get right into it, what does community mean to you? I mean, like you said, you've been a part of all these different communities and spaces and um, for you, what do you look for or what do you require? Um, you know, what do you most treasure, I guess, in the communities around you? What does it mean to you? Yes. So I, for me, community, what I look for in community when I share space, it's, it's a space and people where I feel I'm inspired and able to grow. Yep. And it changes every single time you're in a space, you know, um, like that little, just certain things you can't always articulate that feeling where you feel like I should be here, whether it's the people or the environment in itself. Because I also believe sometimes community is not always easy. Sometimes you're in communities where it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows, mm-hmm. but you know, you are getting something specific out of it. Like you, you need to be there for it for that time being in that season of your life. Yeah. So I really need my intuition and my discernment. Like I said, I'm a person of faith, whether it's prayer or just that feeling of like, yes, I need to be here. Um, there is something that I can gain from this. Um, like I said, obviously safety is important, but as I said, it's not always comfortable. Safety is important. You never, you never uh, uh, neglect that, but it's not, it might not be comfortable because it's mm-hmm. as a space or I said, we're being pushed to grow, pushed to lead. And I always tell people when you're leading, it's really more about serving, you know, um, then it can it can be a, a new challenge for you, but you know you're being benefited from it. You know people are pouring into you, fostering you, um, uh, uh, validating you, um, 
and you know you guys reflecting each other so yeah community for me can mean a different um types of feelings uh each time you find yourself in a new community because we all share in multiple communities of our families you know our chosen families or blood we have you know your friend groups you have maybe more um when it comes to like career or work interests hobbies we all you know, fit in a few different communities and they all do different things for us and require other types of labor and empathy and work. Yeah, it's definitely true that they serve different purposes also at different times, you know, that they can just kind of evolve with you um, or maybe you leave people behind as you evolve or communities behind, I should say. Um, But definitely that safety point, super important. I mean, when I think about like the people that I want to surround myself with, I would think it's boring to be around people who just see eye to eye and we all get along and everyone agrees (laughs) on everything, but you definitely don't want to be in a situation where people become hostile if you don't agree on certain things, you know, there's a way to disagree Mm -hmm. and still be loving and and open and caring. And that's something I think we're (laughs) lacking in this country right now. Big time is just that the understanding that different is okay. Um, There's just, and different beliefs. I mean, it's okay. And, it doesn't have to be so like emotional or just like anger driven, I guess. Right. And, and getting okay with um, the rougher edges. Like I'm saying, we're never talking about, you know, um, you know, any type of harm done. That's mm-hmm. not out of the question. So, but I'm talking about being okay with things that are sticky. Mm-hmm. If I am a person who has, you know, uh, I'm low quality in my, you know, empathy, then then I'm going to be in a situation where someone who cares about me is going to tell me something in a way that I might not receive well. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they are wrong. <laughs> right. You know, me and one of my, my best friends, you know, Lasia Clarendon, they're a uh, 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 point guard for the New York Liberty WBA and an activist and do so many amazing things. And we've said this for the past 11 years now since we were in college about don't love me to death. Mm. Love me to life. And I don't want people to enable me. I don't want people to let me do things that are not of, of, of like I said, good quality. Um, so it's not always, like I said, it's not sunshine and rainbows. And, you know, I definitely credit my athletic background where you don't always have time to say things in the best way, you know, where you just kind of, you know, direct orders. Like, hey, yeah. you need to do that, you know? So I have, like I said, I have friends in my life who are like, yo, that's, you're, you're messing up. Like, that's not okay. Or right. can I address something with you? And in that moment, I might not receive it well. I might, you know, be irritated. I might, it might, it might turn to an argument. It might get loud, might get back and forth. But when you, like I said, that, that baseline of love and trust and respect, when you sit back later and reflect, you know, and you're probably like, they were right. Or maybe you still don't feel the same way, but you come to it at a different time, de-escalated, and we wrote some thoughts down, say, can we, can we talk this out, flush it out? It might be weeks and months of conversations that you guys don't totally align with being trying to see each other's points and yes, them both grow. But I think, you know, I, I think there is something to be said about, we have to be able to receive, um, not even criticism. Cause I don't even really love the term constructive criticism. I think it's kind of silly, mm-hmm. but definitely receive, you know, heartfelt tender care. Of like, I, I think this can be better. You know, I think we can look at it this way. Yeah. Um, that's how we grow. Yeah. And I think definitely taking the time, 
to have those conversations, the hard, the sticky conversations that aren't fun or sexy, like those are the ones that actually build the long lasting relationships and the people that you can go back to and trust. And, and, you know, we're going back to your sports comparison. I mean, it's true that, you know, and uh, your coaching at your coaches and also you as a coach, I'm sure of experiences where you do have to be brutally honest with the, the players because, you know, that's how they get better. And that's mm-hmm. how, I wish, you know, more of us would approach relationships as well Is like just being honest, not being honest with yourself is such a disservice to yourself and to your personal growth, but being honest with each other as well and how you're making each other feel. I mean, if you want a fighting chance at having long lasting relationships, that's just a necessary kind of component. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, and then you know, I always tell my friend there sometimes, you know, also we don't have to make it to everything so serious. Make a joke out of things sometimes. Like I, there's times where I guess I'm between my close friend, they're asking my, their, my viewpoint on something. I said, I don't, I don't really love advice. I don't really believe in criticism, but just kind of talking things out, asking questions. And I will legitimately say, Hey, I hear you. I recognize the space you're in. Thank you for sharing. Now, do you want me to give you like a 90% truth or like a we in a space right now we're not ready to address and so just keep it like 10% surface and they're like 10% I was like okay yeah you're fine you're justified she was wrong you know and it's like making a joke out of it and then the other time they're like okay. yeah because then they know, know what like, you really want to say too they like they, yeah. they, without you like, needing to say it you added that levity and then it's like okay we're talking about honest I just think it could have been you know and like yeah. not everything has to be so serious even when you know you and your friends are reading each other <laughs> yes definitely and I think something that's hard to do though is to say it out loud like mm-hmm. especially I I don't know growing up for some reason I got into this like habit of emailing my family my feelings <laughs> like that not was like something <laughs> like we would like we would express ourselves via email like it's really hard oh, for us to God. say it out loud and that's something that I what would the subject on. say I don't know probably something so silly like last night's <laughs> conversation or something something in reference to god knows what it was always off just some like, silly 13 year old hotmail account like yeah, you know juicy girl three 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 hotmail like I have some things to address <laughs> yes and it's been such a terrible habit that I really really am so I'm so hyper aware of to make sure that like my kids don't have this <laughs> I mean especially with texting now today too it's much easier even like when Jose and I get in fights sometimes like we, we of course communicate face to face 95% of the time but sometimes I just like leave the room and I like just we get into this text thing and it's really really bad and so um yeah just saying it out loud and that's like a practice you have to like continue to do it and get comfortable with it Mm -hmm. it's not going to happen overnight you're not going to feel like really good about doing it right away but it's such an important thing to foster that connection even further so I and but I yeah. like that adding the levity to it. it definitely yeah, helps. not everything has to be. I mean, there are even some fights where you have to stop. You know, I know you know this relationship. You're just like, what are we doing? And like, you just have to like let's yeah. park it. You know, <laughs> you know. Uh, clearly, what I'm saying is not resonating. So <laughs> I'm going to take the L. It's probably me. Yeah, like not everything has to be so serious. And like, right. you know, I, and I I bring that over to you know, anyone who knows me know I'm outspoken about social justice issues and things of that nature that people think are so serious. (laughs) And I'm like, it's not that serious. Like, you know, I don't care what color you are, what belief, a political party, there are certain things we can just like agree upon. I'm like, yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. Let's just start from there. Like, you know, 
Yeah. And that's why I tell people the issue with us. We don't even have, as a country, we don't even have a common baseline of just like, yeah, probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> you know, like, I, like, no one has an issue if you believe in this tax law versus this or this versus that. Like, that's, that's fine. You're human. But the fact that we can't even agree upon, yeah, you probably shouldn't kneel on a man's neck for eight minutes. That's our whole problem, which is why I don't go further with many conversations playing devil's advocate or trying to eat because right. we're not in a place where I can even trust your humanity, right? Yes. And so I think the same with arguments. It's like we can get to a place where, okay, you know, okay, we shouldn't have, I shouldn't have name called, you know, I shouldn't have done this. You know, we had a difference of, of opinion. And yeah, we both probably did some things not that great, but we, the first problem is, you know, we shouldn't, you know, raise our voice in this way, or we shouldn't, you know, ignore the, like all of that. There's certain things that you take a step back and you got to have certain tense and like, and like foundational stuff yeah. that you realize that no matter how wrong the person is, or you think they are, if you did those other things, then you know, you need to apologize and you need to first just, um, deescalate. So yeah, yeah I, th- I think it's really good to always just have certain pillars of how we treat people, how we listen, um, and the rest, like I said, we can go in circles about. <laughs> yeah, and you can tell pretty quickly, I think, how people treat others um, around you. You know, that'll be like a good baseline of understanding because, um, you know, someone might treat you a certain way where, that you appreciate, but then when you go out with them or like like a great, I feel like, way to test this is at a restaurant and how they treat um, the staff, like just mm-hmm. it's sometimes can be so eye opening. Um, so definitely, um, I like that though. I mean, having this common baseline, I mean, it just makes sense. It's ridiculous that we can't get there as a country, but <laughs> yeah, like you shouldn't take someone's life. Like we can't even agree yeah. upon that. So I'm like, call me in 20 years when you exactly. to talk about the nuances, cause we can't even agree upon, you know, someone's humanity. Yeah, that was, I think, an issue with a couple of friends that I have who were Trump supporters, where their their reasons for supporting Trump had nothing to do with things like that. But it was like, but at the same time, this man stands for this. So it's like, I can't, like, I just can't talk to you right now. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's a big, that's a big, like, like there's certain caveats we have. Like, why well, don't agree upon that? But if I can't have friends who don't acknowledge the Holocaust. That's not something I can just you know, gleam over that, that, yeah. that, cause that's a reflection of me. And, and that's something we have to have standards and not in some arrogant way. Like I'm better than you, but I mean, all of us, like there's certain, you know, like there's yeah. certain standards we have to have. Yeah. Um, if we're going to create a safe space in the world, and that's the dangerous part, the slippery slope, when you start, you know, letting one thing, that's how we know all of us, we normalize bad traits in our life. We normalize one thing, like, okay, that the exception, then all of a sudden, you find yourself, you know, like, like we just said, arguing about, well, I mean, and then that, and it's like, what are we talking about? You know? So yeah, there are certain things, um, can't be, you know, just the, well, I, I don't agree with that, but no, that is a huge, but it's someone's life. It's, it's in people who incite violence or people who incite, Hey, that's not something I can just, you know, yeah. ignore. No, definitely not. I mean, yeah, can't ignore that. <laughs> um, so, you know, over your life, what communities <clears throat> have had the biggest impact on you, good or bad? You know, what has kind of been those moments that were like, wow, this is a defining moment in this space or this community or around these people? Um, so it's, I think all of them have pretty been, have given a lot of, you know, 
influence on me, but just to list some of them, like I said, um, from early years, my community, you know, with my church community, you know, that was not just faith and, and, and I had the best experience with that, but also, um, that was where I got my black community. Right. Mm-hmm. And that did a lot for me. And, you know, I was thankful I was raised in a household in a church where God was love. And that's kind of how I pre- approached my life since then, you know, mm-hmm. and everything was in that, in that lens of love and, and, uh, you know, compassion and caring and all of those things that have really helped me in my life. So that's been one. Um, my academic community, you know, in all my schools, that has, you know, influenced me later as I realized how much of a privilege that was, you know, yeah, of my, my growth and my learning. And like I said, you know, um, talking about, I always have this quote where I say, if every room I go in, know proverbial room if every room I go in and I'm like the best in that room then I'm in some pretty crappy rooms right (laughs) (laughs) and so I I'm so thankful that I have been in rooms where someone has always been like people have always been like I said so phenomenal Mm -hmm. and whatever I don't mean a certain GPA or a certain you know uh statistical category I mean just like they have their thing. They're able to be their full self. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think uh, Marlboro community is really important to that because I don't know if it's a chicken or egg. I don't know if it's, if it's, you know, the type of people they attract or people that go there and they get emboldened, whatever it might be. The young women there are just bold, especially I know when we were there, the people in our grade alone, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and that was affirming in itself when you see people who aren't perfect, doesn't mean everyone's confident all the time. No, I'm not saying they don't have their human thing, but the essence of themselves was so true, you mm-hmm. know, even when it got sticky and messy. Um, so those communities were were really uh, important. And, um, you know, certain things that stick out is definitely like the community I had at home with my mom. And, you know, things that she said, very matter of fact, that I'm now realizing were very revolutionary when, you know, she would tell me, you know, a lot of people might not know that there's a, there's a black phrase said in households all the time since the beginning of, you know, since we've been here, you know, in America, which is you have to work twice as hard to get half as much, mm-hmm. right? A lot of black, you know, um, parents tell their kids that. And I'm, I'm sure that goes variation of that for other, um, you know, non-white households and different intersections. But I'm sure that's a similar sentiment. But my mom never said that because in a way, the phrase, we get what it means, but it, it can be already damaging to a child that mm-hmm. young, right? You're setting them up for kind of like expecting the, le- the least. And my mom always just told me, you know, Tali, it's not enough to be good. You need to be, you need to be exceptional because mm-hmm. you can. Like, and it wasn't because like this person's going to take this from me. It was just like, no, like that's, that's the standard. She set certain standards in my house that I didn't realize were standard because she framed them in a way that was just like commonplace, the way you breathe, you know? Mm-hmm. And I always tell parents, like, when you make certain things commonplace and just part of the process, kids internalize that in the best way. So whatever that might be, if you, if you, you know, make, you know, food is good, your body is perfect, you instill that early, they're going to internalize that. If you instill everyone is beautiful and loved by God and, you know, differences are amazing, they're going to internalize, whatever it is that you internalize in a very, this is our matter of fact way kids take that on. Yeah. So my mom did that a lot of my life, you know, um, 
and even when she explained faith to me, everything was just in that love. And I think, like I said, the words she said were, you know, don't just be good enough. You need to be phenomenal. Like you, you should be phenomenal because you can. Um, and as well as, you know, she would always tell me things like, uh, all things are permissible to Ali. You can do whatever you want, but not everything's beneficial. So I think those are the things that really were turning points in my life, getting to Marlboro and seeing, you know, phenomenal uh, young women and then being at home and being told that I was perfect in every way, which I am because everyone is. Everyone is perfect. And once you are born, you are equipped and perfect to do everything you need to do in this lifetime, Um, whatever it is. So. And I love your mom. Hi, Teal. Yeah. Shout out (laughs) Teal. So those early affirmations. Of course, I'm, you know, still growing through years of insecurity. We always going to be insecure or whatever. It, it doesn't make everything just like right, easy, easy yeah. but certain things that when, you, when life does really try to break you down, you go inward and you go back to those factory settings that are there and you hold on to them. Sometimes you're holding on by a thread. It's like barely, you know, but if you heard those words, you know, someone believed that about you. And that's what I try to pass on, you know, cause that gift alone is just huge. That's amazing. I love that. I was actually just talking, um, my last podcast episode that just came out was with Laurel and Jackson, who's a psychic medium. And she was talking about how when we're born, we're born with this purpose, right? We have like a reason why we're here. And as we grow up, the world comes in and the world dilutes that Mm -hmm. purpose and maybe that light, you know? And so having a family, having a community that continuously just builds up, builds you up and, and makes sure that you know that you are amazing, that you are perfect, that you are going to do exactly what you're supposed to do. Um, in this life. And I think that's just, I mean, step one, that's like the most basic and and most incredible gift that you can give any child or any person. Um, and the freedom of whatever it is, I'm going to cheer you on. If you want to pick bananas, you go be the happiest banana picker. Cause (laughs) I'm going to take like affirm what, if you know, uh, my my mom had told her, I want to be a ghost tomorrow. She would have been like, and you better, be the highest quality ghost that you can be <laughs> because you can. And it was like, you're right. I sure can. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. No. Yeah, definitely. Just, I, I definitely turn to my mom too, whenever I'm feeling like on low confidence or just like, I'm not gonna be able to do this. Like if I'm applying to a job or anything like that, she's always been like, made me feel like, no, Natalie, you can't like, you can do Mm -hmm. any job that you want to do. Like you'll figure it out. You know, like even if it's a challenge, you'll figure it out. It's going to, it's going to be okay. And just having one person like that, that's like the biggest of deals. And, and going back to what you were saying about, um, being in rooms with people that are better or more advanced or just like have, their purpose kind of figured out and they're confident in knowing what that is. Like, um, I feel like in today's world, a lot of that, I think it's so important. First of all, I'll just say that getting in those rooms and, and being motivated by being around those people. But sometimes I can feel like, especially when you see it on social media where everything is through this like lens, that's like, they never show the real life stuff. You compare yourself so quickly in a way where it's like the, it's, it has the opposite effect. Mm-hmm. And so I think surrounding yourself with those people in real life, IRL, that right. will make, that like is the, that's the difference. 
<laughs> no, yes, yeah. I, I meant, and I meant literal room together. Yeah, I meant yeah, literal I know. Like, yeah. yeah, no, it, it, no, for sure, for sure. And also doing what's healthy for you. Like there is no shame in, hey, I am not confident enough to be on Instagram. So like people don't know, I didn't, I didn't have my first ever Instagram until 2017. Oh, wow. Right. Um, I would have, I, I don't even know if this was uh, a deliberate thing. Did you start it when I, you started Five Fifths Culture? I, I did. When I started my site and I literally think that that was just so ordained because I was ready for that. Mm-hmm. You know, Instagram for me is like very fun and silly. There is, I don't get any anxiety over Instagram, you mm-hmm. know, um, and that's not shaming those who do. I'm more just saying, I think, cause I was ready for yeah. me, it, you know, I was, you know, 25, about the 26 and I was 25. So I was like, yeah, like, oh, okay, we could for this purpose and whatever. And then I was like, it's got fun to me. Like, oh, I'm overseas. I can check in on people. Mm-hmm. And my point is if I would have had it, you know, I think what, 2012, it came out when I was in undergrad mm-hmm. and all the, all of the things that I was battling with self, I wouldn't have been ready for that. You know, I, I would have, it would have been become obsessive. I would have been chasing followers, all of these things. So my point is, know yourself the most there's no there's no flaw that is like inherently bad when you admit it and want to work on it and just 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 know how you live your life accordingly right yeah like no one ever gets mad at someone who says hey i know genetically i'm predisposed to you know uh, addiction alcoholism so i don't drink you know i i do not go out past six it'll be too tempting there is nothing wrong with knowing your thing. So for me, I I know where I lack. I know, you know, or I try to know where I lack mm-hmm. and where I, you know, am susceptible to certain things. And I try to plan my life accordingly because I'm not strong enough. You know, I'm just not. I'm a, I'm a human being. So I probably knew I wasn't strong enough. I was like, I'm not getting an Instagram, you know, and there's going to be a day I know you know, I feel soon, like when I'm on a whole higher level, where I start getting attacked for things and I'm like, I can't handle this. So I'm going to delete everything, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, you know, that's like I said, back to like athlete talk. That's one of the things you do. You start knowing, you know, where your strengths are, things right. you want to work on and you adjust your life accordingly. You know, some people, you know, you can't be in LA certain points of your time. It's like, I'm just too overwhelmed with stimulation of this, that, and the third. That's okay. Okay. You know, yeah. there's nothing wrong with doing what you need to do for your healing and for your power, you know, and not feeling ashamed about that, you know? So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's definitely, I'm at that point right now with Jose, we're planning on leaving LA for a bit. And, um, I think that's really hard too, when it comes to your friends and family and something Jose reminds me of, which is important is like, these pe- like the people around me are not planning their life based on me. So why would yes. I plan my life based on them and how they because feel? Because we're empaths and we care. I know. I'm just like, what? Like, why am I so concerned about how people are going to react to this? It's like, I'm going to be happy and that should be enough. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, it's so funny that you <laughs> feel, I mean, that kind I of, totally get it. that leads nicely into what I wanted to talk about next, which was your time abroad. And, um, can, can you remind me of all the countries that you've lived in? Yeah. So countries I've just lived, I've lived in, you know, for several months, you know, mm-hmm. some up to 10 months, some, you know, a few months, but, uh, Poland, Greece, mm-hmm. Israel, oh, before Israel, Spain, um, 
Russia, Siberia to be exact, the capital of Siberia, <laughs> Novosibirsk, Russia, yes, um, it's exactly what you thought it would be in terms of temperature, um, and Puerto Rico for a short time. So yeah, I've, I've nice. lived in those places, but you know, obviously within that, I'm traveling all over, you right. know, for competition and the other, so. Right, so when you were in those places, which are all very different, from yes. one another, um, totally different cultures. And I, and I know that the women on your team are coming from all over the world too, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So what was that like to like come together with these people where you have to be a team and right. you're from different places. You may, you might speak different languages. How, how was that dynamic? Like, how was it for you to build these relationships, you know, with people that you might still be in touch with today or like maybe not, but how was that? Right. Well, this is uh, sometimes I, I make people sad about this when I talk about professional sports is not, I know you've played sports, is not the same as high school, college, or even like, you know, rec league in terms of it's it's very much a job. Oh, yeah. You clock in and clock out. You don't have to even talk to your teammate outside of practice. Oh, interesting. People don't think about that. Now, obviously... <laughs> most a lot of great teams happen to be close okay you know but even then there's a there's a there's a boundary because when you go to professional sports you have 22 year olds and you have 35 year olds Mm. after practice one might go home with their spouse and maybe a kid you know and the other might go out to a club like it's it's two different lives like lebron is not hanging out with the the rookie on lakers they don't know each other like that they have a working professional relationship they have a common goal but LeBron goes home, you know, and the other, like, like it's people don't realize you go home, you're done, you know? Yeah. Um, so professional sports, especially abroad, you know, because it's, it's in segments of like, you know, eight to 10 months. And it's, it's so much transition and new. And the reason why I'm saying that, because we really get, that's why I love the movie soul, the Pixar soul. We get so, so harped up on passion, purpose, and my job being to align to that. And it doesn't always have to. We shame people who have a job for the purposes of I go to work, I get a paycheck, take care of my family, and I have my other things in life that fulfill me. I'm not saying you need to be miserable at your job. I am not saying that. But I'm saying there's nothing wrong with having a, uh, a vocation that is not your vacation. Right. <laughs> it should not be. Capitalism does not work like that, right. no matter who you are. LeBron James is still in a system where he's making billions of dollars for his owner. You know, he's not... You know, he doesn't have to internalize all of that like it is his life's duty, right. you know? Right. So so I just want to say that's people who feel like, oh, I'm not obsessed with my job. That's okay. You know, it's okay if you are totally content with clock in, clock out, and my weekends, my evenings, or however I have my passion or my love, whatever, that's what I live for. Yeah. But for me in particular, you know, I had every experience was different. You know, certain teams were closer um, in terms of like your rapport. Um, you know, the nightlife, you guys went out, whatever you guys did um, with free time. But the biggest thing is I spent a lot of, which I'm thankful for, a lot of um, alone time, a lot of solitude because the way your schedule works of like multiple practices a day when you're not in the gym, which is like probably from like, you know, your home from maybe 10 p.m. to the next morning, you're just you. You know, it's just you. And I'm in a foreign city. You're not, I'm not you know, you're not going out in the town at that time. Like it's, you know, resting up for practice. That's, people don't realize how much time that really is from like 9 to 10 p.m. to the next morning. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, I'm used to filling it with things, like whether you're talking to a friend or having mm-hmm. a family member at your house, partner. I'm, 
you know, 7,000 miles away. It's just me and these walls, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm, there's certain, and there's some, some years that were harder than others, you know, like Greece, I was very isolated because I was on a very small island of coast. And, um, you know, it wasn't Americanized. Some cities are Americanized where you have certain comforts, some aren't, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, that was one of the years where I read the Bible front to back, you know? <laughs> like yeah. there's, there's, there's certain years where, you know, I was able to work on myself because my life, also because of where I was in my career in those years, I was so in my pay my dues and I was obsessive in the best way. I was in that like early hunger. Like I was, right. everything was improving myself physically and mentally in my game in the best way. So I didn't have many distractions. You know, I'm not, I wasn't a drinker. I wasn't all of these things. And, you know, I didn't have a partner back at home where I could like FaceTime. I didn't have many distractions. So it was just me. Um, and some of those years, you know, it paid off professionally. And it was also hard because, you know, I'm missing Christmas and Thanksgiving mm. and people's birthdays and family members' funerals, you know. Um, and then, like I said, there are people, uh, teammates who I am still friends with. And we, we created history and won cups and traveled all over. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very strict schedule on a lot of practices, a lot of traveling, a lot of airplanes, trains and buses i mean rode a ferry once you know <laughs> and you know and then there's also a lot of time where because i say you're in transit too a lot of good use of a lot of books a lot of knowledge you know a lot of self-reflecting and prayer and just being okay with me um walking around doing whatever so yeah yeah it was uh, it was moments of isolation but also moments of new community also remember i'm black i'm hyper aware of my blackness wherever i am and that's a thing, like, when I'm uh, 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 overseas, you know, like, I'm not saying I had issues, but it's just, it's just, you know, some of my, some of my white American teammates, they didn't see certain things in the lens that I did, right? Because mm-hmm. the world has a common thread of anti-blackness, you know? Even to the point where I'd be in certain countries, and once they realized I wasn't an African immigrant, they would be, like, nicer to me, like, oh, you're a black American, you know, as if that made me feel better, you know? And it, you know, I, I, I learned a lot and I also saw a lot of amazing things and, you know, mm-hmm. had amazing foods. But, yeah. Well, I think that definitely, you know, that time alone, like what you were saying, is has a lot of value, too, in then, you know, being able to be a stronger person for your relationships in your life or like the communities that you're in like it definitely that time is so valuable and time we don't get I mean this past year aside where a lot of us did get a little bit more of that time and what we chose to do with it was completely fine whatever you decided just to get through this past year but um I think being able to read and reflect and to learn it's so great and actually almost 30 and I'm just getting into like reading a lot <laughs> like, that wasn't something no shame that. <laughs> it wasn't something I did or enjoyed before but now I'm like and it's it's because I just figured out I like ebooks like ebooks I read really really fast right so anyway that work is just I think it's it's so important and so valuable and then you know you you got to come back here and I think correct me if I'm wrong but because you came back to LA, your your season was cut short, which I do know. But yes, literally got back here the day the border closed. I know, <laughs> March thirteenth. <13th. laughs> so I'm glad you made it back. <laughs> um, but what? And then I think it was like your time running outside around Echo Park that brought you to this development of the Echo Park Fund. So, do you want to talk about that a little bit? 
Yeah, so I got back March 13th. And another thing about overseas and just my life, mm. you know, packing up every eight to 10 months, you know, you yeah. see me in and out of you know, the country, like you never, you're like, are you here or are you not? You know, <laughs> taught me how to be flexible and nimble and not hold on to things. Like, you know, I basically, you know, kind of like military, like pack what you could have on you kind of thing, you know? Right. So attachment, I, I'm thankful for those. Yes. And that was an example. I'm, you know, living a very nice life in Poland, in a great city. You know, we had we just played a game on Tuesday, right? Played a good game, all hung out that Wednesday. Then, like, we were ready for practice on Thursday morning, and instead I wake up in my inbox to a boarding pass <laughs> to Los Angeles. And so, yeah, like, the attack. From why, you who? Know, it, um, the team, like the team, like my the team was like, you guys gotta go. The team was like, like you guys gotta leave now. <laughs> yeah, no, it really was. Cause remember, it was, remember the news and all that. It was that bad. Like, oh and, it went. It was overnight because you know we're ahead. So while I'm asleep, oh yeah, all the, and America's happening. I wake up and they're like, you guys gotta go. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like a season up? Like season? Like seasons can't? Like it all happened. Season was canceled. We had our boarding passes. We're moving out all within twelve hours while I'm asleep. Basically, that was all crazy. that had happened. It wasn't like a hey, I think season gonna be canceled. Hey, I'm not gonna practice tomorrow. Hey, we're probably gonna have you guys go home. It was see tomorrow at practice, and I woke up. You guys have to leave. Oh my god, I remember seeing that so, on your Instagram stories. That was so crazy. So yeah, so that was me. And I, so all of a sudden, the life that I have lived for those several months, I'm packing up in two, three hours, and calling my mom saying, "Hey, I'm gonna be in LAX <laughs> by 3 p.m. your time tomorrow." Oh like literally, you know. That's crazy. So I got back, and that's that's where I'm saying being grounded and rooted. You can't always control things like that. That's that's very extreme, you know. Mm-hmm. But I was rooted in the fact that thank God I'm safe. Thank God I am in a position where you know a team provided me a ticket. Imagine you can afford that. Like all of these things that right. were privileges, even in the midst of me. I would tell people we all go through a lot, but then imagine if you don't have those privileges. Like we're all going through, you know depression, anxiety, or this. And imagine if you literally cannot feed your children right mm-hmm. now. So it's like, you know, that level. Got back. Um, and like I said, because of my time abroad, that was a good transition. I was used to quarantine more or less. So the first, that first part of quarantine from March to, for me, May 25th was easy. I was having a great old time. You know, I was, A, it felt good to be home and, mm-hmm. you know, with my mom and, I was running outside, exercising, cooking, getting, baking every new recipe. I was having a great time because <laughs> I'm by myself a lot. I'm an only child. I wasn't missing a friend. You know, we have FaceTime, we have phone. What am I missing you for? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't club. I don't. I wasn't missing a thing. You know, I don't. I don't need to go inside of an Applebee's. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was loving quarantine. Literally Good. loving quarantine. The tweets were funny before we started realizing how serious things were. Everything was funny. <laughs> We were just like, oh, we're just at home in my pajamas. Yeah. Then, like I said, I was running in Echo Park, you know, because I couldn't go to the gym. So I'd be running in Echo Park. And it wasn't until May 25th, 2020, as a lot of people know, you know, George Floyd was murdered. And that's my birthday, you know. And like I said, the way my blackness worked had a visceral effect on me. Not even mm-hmm. blackness, you're human. But I know because I'm black, it's also a different level. It was this weird, you know, a lot of black people, people don't have always a constant survivor's remorse. Because at any moment, one of us can be killed. We all know someone who lost their life for no reason. Mm-hmm. So every time you have a birthday, it's like, wow, I made it. Wow. You know? And so the fact that on the day that I was celebrating my 29th year and his life was taken, that was, that was ridiculous, you know? Mm-hmm. And we had to do that because of the trauma porn of always playing Black Death on TV and social media. Yeah. So that was how my 29th birthday was spent, you know, when people asked, how was it? And, uh, you know, I remember the... Um, 
I went that weekend. I went to the uh, BLM LA march, the one that just got escalated for no reason on on the on the hands of police. And I always mm-hmm. tell people, you want to talk to me about it? I was there. I was there from start to finish. We were we were passing by Jones on Third. The streets were blocked down. Everyone's clapping for us. White, black business owners. It was like a party. It wasn't even like tens. We were so excited. Came from Pan Pacific Park, about to turn the corner and end up back at Pan Pacific. We're like, oh, this rally is short. We fought the power in two hours. What are you going for lunch? It was like the most chill fight the power ever. And then they're like, police are blocking the park off and shooting over bullets of people. Why? We're done. We're, we're trying to get our car and go home. Like, it was the most bizarre thing. Like, it was the most beautiful, like, Kendall Jenner, Pepsi commercial <laughs> rally. And the police were like, we're going to try to kill you guys. And then they ensued to block us in, you know, that, that, you know, area for the next four hours. And I was on Fairfax and third for like three hours, dodging rubber bullets and police batons for no reason. That's a whole different conversation. Yeah. So I remember that next day after the rally, I was so disheartened and exhausted at the news reports, people who were bringing up looting, which made no sense in the face of what was going on. And which is inaccurate considering those were people who came, you know, hours later. Nothing to do with, I know it happened like, we saw a march go down Highland, and I, my balcony looks over Highland, and it was great. It was peaceful. It was beautiful. I yeah. was down on the sidewalk. Like, I was I was more nervous with COVID to join in. I live with my dad, mm-hmm. and I was just, like, a little bit stress-inducing for me, but mm-hmm. I was happy to be there at least and be part of it yeah. for a little bit that I could. 20 minutes go by. Like, everyone's gone, right? 20 yeah. minutes go by. These cars come. They block off the streets. People jump out of the car. They start smashing windows. It's completely separate. They came from, from other the places. Yeah, they they also came from out of state. Like it, it, it was it was bizarre. It was the most crazy thing to watch. Like my jaw was just on the floor for the rest of the night. I was because you could just see them like just taking they 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 um, smashed open the windows of a laundromat, just throwing out all the clothes. Like I'm like, why? What are you doing? It, 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 it was it was it was a mess, pure yeah. distraction. Which yeah. is you know if you ever you know read and, about the FBI's, you know, uh, interference with the MLK. That's what happens when people are doing things that make sense. So, And there were no cops in sight, that, by the way. You said what? There were no cops in sight when that happened. Uh, exactly. Um, so, I mean, as a, make sure we all watch this weekend the release of uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. That's about Fred Hampton and how he was, you know, killed. But anyway, okay. th- that, following, that following day, I was so exhausted and disheartened and just hurt by... A, let's say if people looted, once again, which I think we got the argument down, y'all only care when CVS is burned. Y'all don't care when a body is burned. I don't care right. about a CVS. Like, like okay, they have yeah. insurance. Like, yeah. I'm not saying, I, I don't care. My point is I don't care. They'll be okay. So that person is It'll be dead. okay. Yeah. They loot us every day. So I was uh, I was so disheartened and just, like, tired, too, because I was literally, I said, when people stuck on the corner of 3rd and Fairfax for mm-hmm. hours. I hadn't been on 3rd and Fairfax since high school, Natalie, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> I, uh, I went to Echo Park just to, um, you know, take a deep breath. And I remember my friend Edgar had bought uh, some medical masks. And you got to remember, May 30th, this is when it was still impossible to find masks. Like, we live in a different world now. Remember when you couldn't find anything? You couldn't yes. find bleach, couldn't find water, couldn't find masks. So I had a bunch. And I said, you know what? These were expensive as heck. And if I couldn't even find these, I know people who are houseless. I see the tenth all the time. They probably need some. At that mm-hmm. point, I hadn't thought about, you know, them. Because I was more just like, I don't like being a spectator and trying to be a savior and stare at people. I was just like, they live here. I'm running here. So I was like, you know what? Let me introduce myself in terms of I'm your neighbor. I'm up here running through your space all the time. I can't really say hi, you know? Yeah. 
came up there, started passing out masks. Long story short, I met with a woman who was kind of the head woman in charge of all the tents, you know, was taking care of people, seeing community work. And that's the, the, the biggest thing. When you are someone who has something and you see people who don't have as much as you doing more than you, you know, like there's a, there's a passion in the Bible about a person with, you know, a person who had 10 coins and, and gave away, you know, nine, a person who had, you know, or gave away two, the person who had five who gave away one, but the person who had one coin and gave away that one, why they're the one that's so blessed. Mm-hmm. It's like you gave when you had nothing. Yeah. And I was seeing that and I was like, wow, and hearing all that she did. And then I just naturally asked her, you know, I'm going to the store. What are some things that I can get for you guys? And I, she told me things I would have never guessed. And I always tell people, don't assume. You know, the first part of, you know, serving is being competent, you know, you know, for example, you you can't, you can't bring, you know, a houseless person, a stove, where are they going to plug it up? You know, you got to bring them, you know, certain things in particular, like knowing what they need. So she was telling me how they use camp stoves and how, what they use the bleach for and all of these things and ice refrigeration. I was learning so much and how you can only get these, these butane cans to fuel the stoves at like either Home Depot or Walmart, you know, so they don't really have a, a way to get them at the local store. Right. So I use my my uh, my money. I probably invested that first few bucks, not much, you know, got those supplies and seeing her response, it was like, wow. I, I wasn't just like, oh my God, I'm helping. It was just like, yo, I didn't even give you that much. And you're like super hype. I'm, wow, I have friends who stay wanting to do stuff for community. I have a lot of good people in my life who do want to give. Mm-hmm. And I, I just thought organically, hey, how am I do something where I have a fun, kind of like a giving well. All this is a giving well. We all put our money in. I'll go to the store and pick things up. Mm-hmm. And we'll, then that's that's really all it was. So I was just like, hey, here are the receipts. Here's some things I'm going to start picking up. If you want to throw me any money when I go to the store tomorrow, let me let me know. And it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. That's all it is. Is I just, that Echo Park Fund connects people who have a little bit more and people who need a little bit more. And that's all it is. And I make it real casual. Um, I, I tend to be casual in how I do things. I don't want people to feel beholden to me. I don't want mm-hmm. people to feel like I hate when people give people something. You always make them feel like, yeah, I did that for you. But that's gross to me. You know, that's yeah. gross. You know, um, I even tell people the only reason why I post about it is because it's helped me get more resources that I couldn't get on my own. Yeah, that's the only reason. But I live by the Bible verse. You know, if you give with your right hand, don't let your left hand see what's going on. Like you gotta, you know, keep that. On the low, you know, mm-hmm. um, actually, it just it just happened that people were really being moved to do more, and I was like, "All right, Lord, if this is why I'm have to post about it, then okay." But I don't want to, you know, seek fame from this kind of thing. That's gross. Right. So yeah, that's how it started. Yeah, I mean, it's been so great to watch it grow, and I mean, it's grown to like computers and support with. Um, government documents. I mean, like you guys have expanded the, it's not only like physical resources, but just, you know, all, all these other resources on online and etc. So it's been so great to watch it happen. And I think because of how you approach it, like because of that casualness, people, I think a lot of us have like starting anxiety where it's like we have mm-hmm. these big ideas, but actually like mm-hmm. doing it is like, we can't get over that. And because it was just like so organic and it just happened. And of course it has so much to do with you and your approach to things and like just how, you know, that all worked out. But 
it's been, it's been so wonderful to watch. And I'm curious, you know, you have, like you said, you've had, you know, a lot of your friends and in your community donate their time, their, their resources, but, um, what has been like a challenge or, or, or maybe something that's been the most surprising about that experience to get like a fund started? Um, getting it started, that wasn't the, the, the surprising thing wasn't that, cause I'm, I'm a firm believer of like, if you just, if you wait until everything is perfect, you're never going to start it. Like yeah. you got to do things on faith. You've got to, you've got to go into life naked. You've got to jump. Yeah. So if I would have waited to like type up this mission statement document, yeah. do all this and that, I would have still been doing that. Cause yeah. we always can get better and work on it. You right. can just do it. So I think the, Honestly, the starting part has been easy because I let people do what they're good at and run with it and help me and support me. And I tell people, I don't know what I'm doing. You help me. Um, and just listening. I've only learned as I go along. Like people are like, how did you know, how did you know about this kind of stuff? Like I didn't. I would talk to people and I have these are my friends, these are my family, these house of people like who in the community, they're not they're not subjects. I know them. So they'll tell me like, yo, Talia, like that don't make sense. Like, you're right. Like I had, to, I was arguing with homeboy one day at target. I was going on target run with one of the guys who lives in downtown area. And he was like, I do this. Listen, I was like, you're right. Like I was moved arguing about what kind of detergent to get. And it was like, of course you need laundry pods. Why would you need a big old thing of a laundry detergent, you know, uh, bottle. That doesn't make sense. So it's like, right. I had to, you know, people, people you are helping people who need help know how to help themselves more than you do. Mm-hmm. Just let them lead you. So I guess the biggest surprise, honestly, was, um, not surprise, the biggest thing that I was thankful that I was able to do is, is uh, know when I could not do serve someone. You know, mm-hmm. I've had a couple of people who I've been close to who I've tried to do the drug rehab and tried to get mental health help. But they're adults and people have to want it, you know. Yeah. And that's probably the hardest thing is a couple of people I've had to, you know, hey, I, I can't do anything more. I can't, yeah. you know. And, if, and it's a boundary of like, like you need to stop, you know, like I gave you this privilege, you abused it, you know, I, yeah. you know, you have my number, you do this and you've abused it. And I've tried to do everything. I've, I've ridden a young man in my car around for a day, taking him to um, hospitals and rehab, trying to get him signed up and did all the steps. And, you know, he's not ready for that yet. And yeah. that's fine. Same way. I'm not ready for certain things in my life to change. So, but having to, you know, acknowledge when I can't do something, you know, taking a break, you know, that's been, that's always the hardest because you want to help everyone, you right. know, because why would you not want to help someone who needs it? So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that model of, you know, listening and learning from the community that you're serving, I mean, that is the best way to help because that's how um, my, I had a short involvement with UNICEF when I was living in New York mm-hmm. and they explained to me their model. And I think it's like 80% of the people who work on the ground in each country are local to that place. Mm-hmm. Cause then that way they can make sure that any response to an emergency or any donations that they're giving out to the community, anything like that, that there are actual community members who are giving their input and, you know, kind of controlling the direction that that all goes in. So all of that makes perfect sense. And I think the way you did it was great. I mean, clearly it had a huge impact on that community. So, um, thank you for doing yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Cultural competency is everything. And also being yeah. humble. Mm-hmm. Like I learned this in basketball when I was, you know, worked my butt off for my team and served much as I can. And there were times where I was saying something logical and good and 
people weren't receiving it. Mm-hmm. And I had to get out of my own way. And I would talk to my best friend, Lasians, another co-captain. I said, hey, can you say this? Because they're just not hearing it from me. Of course, it's a, it's a blow to your ego. But the, when the goal is getting something done, it doesn't matter yes. how it gets done. Yes. So if some, I don't need the credit. I don't. I need the result. Yeah. So if that meant I stepped away and I had someone else do that, even if it's my idea and all this stuff, who cares? Mm-hmm. Who cares? And I said, it's humbling. It wasn't easy to see people who are like not listening to you, who are like, they don't hear me like they hear you. And like they, and that's fine. We all have different gifts. We all have different ways to serve. And that's something it's a team. That's how community comes in. Mm-hmm. When the common goal is, you know, X, you do what you need to do for the team. Yeah. And and, and the, the the bigger we can, you know, get our ego out of the way. And it hurts. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying like, oh, this feels good to know. You know, people like this person more. They do this better. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's the right thing and it pays off. Yeah, absolutely. That's what's most important. That's such good advice. Um, So, yeah, just to wrap this up, I I mean, this has been such an incredible conversation. I uh, wanted to ask you, you know, the three questions that I ask everyone. And this might feel a little bit redundant based on what we've gone over, but it'll be a nice way to kind of sum up everything we've discussed. And the first one is what mantra or words do you like to live by on a daily basis? Oh, I I live by way too many. Yeah. um, (laughs) But I'll give one today that I, I, I like. What is the quality of your intent? What is the quality of your intent by Thurgood Marshall? Because, you know, as I'm talking about like earlier constructive advice that might not always feel great. Um, it doesn't, if, if I, if I, you know, come to work an hour late and I say, I did not intend to come late. I'm so sorry. And then someone said, how did that intention work out? Did mm-hmm. you wake up five minutes before? Did you stay up all night? Did you stop and get a Denny's breakfast or whatever? Like, intentions aren't intentions do not negate impact I, I didn't mean to hurt you oh have i told you the same thing over and over again that i don't like being called this name so what is the quality of your intention that's where i talk to young people a lot especially college students they have all these excuses for things like all of us and i'm like you didn't like i studied for the test i promise when did you start uh 10 before that wasn't a high quality of intention Right. So your intention is not enough. What is the quality of it? And I yeah. use that because it makes me check myself. Like Talia, that didn't happen because they were hating on you. That didn't happen because you did not do You did not put the work in. That was not of high quality. Yeah. And I think we're at a place where we don't demand quality enough from ourselves, from others. A lot of quality right now is just not good. What is the quality of your intention by Thurgood Marshall? I love that. That's I love, first of all, that it's a question. So it's like asking mm-hmm. the person to think about yeah, something. You're the honest on it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the intent conversation, we've all heard it. We've all heard the excuse. I've given the excuse. We all mm-hmm. have this belief that like our intent matters in some way in terms of how the result su- supersedes your effort. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. And that is something that's so important for people to learn. So I, I love that. That's such a good one. Um, then we all know it takes a village to raise kids. And I know that you have kids in your life. I see them all the time on your social media, mm-hmm. you hanging out with them. What do you strive to pass on to them when you're around them and spending time with them? Honestly, just to empower their boys to listen, to not make them fearful, to be honest, to tell their truth. You know, a lot of times, a lot of us are unwrapping years of shame, even around stuff people didn't, you know, overtly put on us. We carry a lot of shame and it has us lie. 
and circumvent things and not be fully honest. And I think I think trying to break that for the next generation of kids will be everything. So that we, we we're we're I think we're kinder to each other and more loving. You know, it's like you know, hurt begets hurt. So when kids are able to be heard and listened to and cared for and loved unconditionally by what they say, what they do, they'll do the same for others. Yeah. I love that. I mean, yeah, the, my last question was about passing on to future generations. So that makes, yeah, just making sure that we're not passing on the stuff that <laughs> past generations have had yeah, to live through. Yeah, pass and, on trauma. Yeah, listening is so important, making them feel heard and empowered. I love that. I mean, it's just, it just, it's the building blocks that really set them up to be really great people and members of different communities like yourself. Yeah. One of my favorite lines, I think we can probably wrap on this then, is um, same with what I do with the, with the final piece we talked about a few minutes ago. Don't try to be the voice of the voiceless. Just pass the mic. I don't need to speak for someone mm-hmm. who knows exactly what they need. That's why I always ask the question on my Instagram. I talk to people, hey, what, what do you need? People tell you exactly what they need if you ask. They don't ask those questions. So don't try to be the voice for someone. Just pass the mic. Don't assume what the mm-hmm. LGBTQ community needs. Don't assume what the black community needs. Don't assume what the Latinx community needs. Just pass the mic. Mm-hmm. Get out of the way. Yep. Give them the platform. It's perfect. Perfect note to end on with the perfect person. You're amazing. I love you so much. I love you so much. You're like perfect. <laughs> My birthday twin. I love you. Um, well, thank you so much, Talia. And if you want to share where people can find you or the Echo Park Fund, please say that now. I'll include it in the podcast. Yes. I mean, you, if you type in Talia Caldwell and all the socials, I'll pop up. That's where everything lives. I'm pretty casual like that. My handle on Twitter is Esoteric Talia. But once again, my name will pop up. And then on Instagram, it's Five Fifths Culture, Numerical Five Fifths Culture. My website's on there where I write about a lot of silly black culture things that are fun. So yeah, Talia Caldwell, you'll find me and all the all the things. Just hit me up. I'm on LinkedIn now a lot too. LinkedIn's fun. Hit me up on there. Let's, let's connect. <laughs> the new social media. <laughs> I, 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 I was late to LinkedIn. Now I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I love LinkedIn. That's so funny. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely check out Five Fifth Culture, everyone. Her articles, her blog posts are really, really well written and very entertaining. Um, okay, well, thanks, Talia. I love you. I love you so much. Thank <laughs> you for letting me talk and ramble. You're perfect. Of course. Hi, know. Jose. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. See what I mean about how amazing she is? Please find all the ways to connect with Talia and learn more about the Echo Park Fund in the show notes. And please share it with a friend and submit a review. It would mean the world to me. Thank you again for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day.